The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified. We are here in Las Vegas at the NAB Conference Center, and I am having a blast here with the gang. Uh, we have Jeff Spinard, Robert Cellini, uh, and also Ryan Treasure. So we have our whole team here, and we're having a blast here. Gita, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited that you're at the NAB, and super excited that you'll be coming down here for LidaCast the next week. Yes, I was just in Atlanta, and I thought, gosh, it's going to be so easy to see you and Sharon Frame, and with the construction in Atlanta, it doesn't really yield uh, an easy get out of the house and just head on over, does it? Absolutely, and you were at the Digital Footprint, weren't you, here? Yes, Ken Courtright, Carrie Courtright, through an amazing event. They brought in, I guess, about 30 thought leaders. We got to hear from Brian Smith, who started Uggs, and he told his amazing story. And some of these guys I've actually heard three or four times. I heard Greg Reed probably for the fifth or sixth time, and they really poured their heart into this event. These are, these are some of the, the best thought leaders in the world, in my opinion. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing our two thought leaders today. So why don't we start off with uh, you introducing Dan. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Dan Fowler is an amazing person. I've met him. I've interviewed him on my show, Dynamic Growth with Gratitude. And he's such an amazing person to share, to, to just be there for all these people out there. Dan Fowler has an extensive background in film, television, media production, and personal development coaching and training. You name it, he's been and done there. Dan has spoken on many stages around the country, including L.E.G. Morishita, Speak Your Genius, I'm Success Now, and so on and so forth. Dan has written five books that have helped thousands of people from Number of Man to rewrite your story, reshape your life. Dan shares his life experiences with his readers to remind them of their spiritual birthright. Dan's latest book that he is working on is called The Imagination Code, which is going to be available soon. So Dan Fowler, a big warm welcome from all of us here, the Imagination Code person, the Imagination IQ guy. Big welcome to you. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for that was a great intro. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, Dan, we were going to do something completely different. We were going to do something completely different and not even have you on the show and just imagine what it would be like having you on the show without you being here. So that was really a big leap. Okay, we can do that. All right, I'm going to go mute myself right now. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got. I have to tell you, there was. uh, We've met three times at events, and I can't recall the first time, but I know that a PSA. Public Speaker Association with Tanya Hoffman is responsible for at least the second one. And the third one, T. Allen Haynes put us back together and we became like brothers 
And uh, I'll tell you, I, I have to say, I, I, I cried about a week after uh, I, I left that event because you had done some amazing shots, uh, just showing your full personality at NASA and very, very colorful shots. And Tracy said, hey, just in case NASA doesn't let me ever come back, we're going to have to take those down on Facebook. So they are, they're in a little treasure chest. But, man, you really showed your amazing, <laughs> loving personality you you obviously are a very abundant thinker, and I and I compliment you enormously because most people don't come out of their shell. They're they are inhibited. They don't want to you know be judged. And you just are a lot of fun. You're a great MC. I mean, you really brought that event to another level. So I love you, bro, and I'm glad uh, you're on the show. Yeah, I just I do. I go all out, and uh, you know I I let the the chips fall where they may, and it's all good. You know I. Uh, I want I want to be known as the the real Dan, right? Not just some some facsimile that I throw out there. Because what fun is that, right? So yeah. Well, thanks, not only that, for, uh, when you when you don't show off the real Dan, you actually attract a different type of relationship. And if you are too, uh, sure. I guess, too careful about trying to please everyone, you actually push away the people that love you just for who you really are. So that's uh, I guess the second part of the message of this this show is I have in the past tried to please people that really weren't a good fit for me in business. And in the end you end up saying, yeah, I don't think I want to work with you anymore. Or you're just not really appreciating the freedom yeah. of, of just having fun. And there are a lot of people that don't re- remember that being in business, you're allowed to have fun and do business at the same time. I think it goes beyond allowed. It's like, I think you're first and foremost, if you have fun, why, why have business if I can't enjoy the process, right? So let's have fun is like one of my, in my top three, right? And then all the other stuff will start to fall into place. You know, people, resources, time, all of that stuff to, to do even more, to have even more fun. So, cool. Glad you brought that up. Well, I noticed we have 137 mutual friends, and I can't wait to get into the interview, but I do want to give a little shout-out to someone very special. Um, Joyce White Nelson is one of the people that actually taught me that lesson of, you know, be careful about who you're working with because then you start defining how you are not able to be yourself. And I, I think you've illustrated that point better than anyone. So I wanted to bring that on the show and also give a, a big hearty thank you to Joyce White Nelson for being a stand for people, uh, living their true self, their true identity, and, and also their true freedom to actually just be themselves. So I wanted to ask you, uh, how you, when did all this start up? When was it, was it in your childhood you realized you had an imagination? You read Dr. Seuss? I mean, what the heck was this imagination thing that clicked on to you? Uh, well, it was kind of kind of the opposite. I mean, my uh, I grew up in a in a very uh, strict home, very traditional Christian home, uh, very fundamentalist, you know, for, to the to the nth degree, almost you know, borderline cultish behavior. And uh, imagination was like a dirty word in my household <laughs> growing up, and so that was not realistic, not practical, something I should get rid of as quickly as possible, and so. I tried to fit in with that for, for many, many years, and it became a program of mine, a belief system that if I'm using something that's ethereal like that, like imagination, that that's just wrong. It's, it's, I shouldn't be doing it. It's not grown up, you know? And uh, not until I, I reached even just, you know, mid, my, my mid-career when it came to my production company that I start to realize that, you know, imagination was a big component to what I did. And it was a process. It was like a filtering process for all the raw materials coming in, whether that be people, 
resources, ideas, whatever it was, the imagination, if it wasn't developed, I couldn't be at the top of my game. And when I started to realize this, I said, I need to actually optimize my imagination more so than anything else. And all the other things, my skills and my talents and my abilities and my gifts will all fall in line if I have the proper filter and you know, like the structure behind it, skeleton, which is the imagination. So that's kind of where it started from, and I thought it was really, it was a dampened type of thing growing up. I didn't really have a, I wanted to have a big imagination, but I was told it was not a good thing to do. Not until later that I said, no, I need to be this imagination, this person that engineers things powerfully and profitably in the world, and you know, that's how I became known as the imagination engineer. So you really resonate with the, the theme or message I just shared about how Joyce Wayne Nelson as the business sure. strategist tell oh, people that really, yeah, it's, that's so cool. And, and you brought that out of me in the show. I've done plenty of shows. And when you uh, shared that you use your imagination and the way you actually uh, are being at events, I just knew that you're a person that is totally living the, the natural side. You don't have to work at being you. You're just being you. So that's really cool. <laughs> I know Gita... I know well, Gita, uh, that's had a transi- to transition out of you know, the old belief system. Now that was a process for sure. But once I realized, oh, the the real me, like I shed the skin of of everybody else's expectations, then I was like, oh, this is a lot lighter and a lot. This is who I really should be showing up as. A lot more fun, but also at the same time, like you said, I'm going to start attracting the people and the kinds of, of projects and business and you you name it. To me, that I really resonate with, not something that I pretend to resonate with. Right. Instead of chasing the money, you're chasing your passion, which attracts the money. Pretty much, right? A lot of a lot of the time. A lot of the time. Yeah. Yes. So I asked Gita if she uh, wanted to imagine any questions she was going to ask you, and she said she wanted <laughs> to. And then I said, "Well, go ahead and ask some questions." She said, she said she's going to actually imagine them right into reality. So Gita, why don't you uh, ask one of the Ooh. questions you have? Absolutely. I can't wait to ask this question. Um, Dan, you you have created so many epic event experiences, especially through Imagination IQ. Can you shed more light on the gamification particularly? Uh, how do you incorporate gamification in your events? Yeah, yeah so gamification for me is, is just a it's, a, it's the context. So I'm a big believer, you know, there's a lot of people that are marketers, marketers and sellers out there, and they talk about content is king, and I don't believe that. I actually believe that context is king, and content is queen, if you will. <laughs> so you've got to have content. You've got to have good content. However, the way in which you deliver that content through a context is actually more important, because this is how you start opening neural pathways in the brain. So gamification for me is creating a means of context to deliver great content and great speakers and that type of thing in a way that which is interactive, uh, gamified, actually sometimes it's actual games, interactive exercises, things like that, that causes the brain to switch from analytical mode to creative mode and back and forth. And you actually, when you put people through a process like that, instead of just shooting information at them and hoping something sticks, you actually create retention in their minds. They actually remember more. They actually can apply more, you know, two, three weeks after the fact. So I'm a big believer in gamifying everything that you do, especially if you're in business. You should gamify your marketing funnels. I teach my clients how to gamify their multidimensional marketing funnels. How in the world do we have choose-your-own-adventure marketing? 
And now that's just some of the things we teach, as well as have a gamified life in, gen- in general. You know, and that's what Imagine HQ mm-hmm. is all about, is showing people how to access the business side, but understanding that your life is the catalyst component. If you gamify it, you're going to see, start seeing what I saw and what I struggled with, that whole imagination being that most powerful asset. Beautiful. Well, why don't, you, why don't you speak to that, Dan? I'd like to hear how one would actually gamify their business and their life. Yeah, okay, great. So we'll all start with the business. So the, the business is easy, and I'll get to the life, which is a little more dynamic. But business is easy because people, people are looking for um, the ability of choice, the ability if they want to have, feel like they have some control, but also guidance at the same time. So just like um, I'm a big fan of the 80s paperbacks called Choose Your Own Adventure novels. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Check them out. Look, about, look on Google. But Choose Your Own Adventure novels were very, very cool. They made a lasting impact on me because you're reading the storyline. You read Chapter 1, Chapter 2, and then all of a sudden at the end of Chapter 2, it says, if you want to follow Sally down that dark corridor, turn to page 100. Or if you want to follow Scott down the corridor, this other corridor, you know, go to page 42. And you got to choose what plot line, what track plot line and character development you wanted to follow, what was important to you. So I, I looked at this, I would like the concept of it, I like the concept of story, but when it comes to marketing, this also gives me lots of data on a person. When somebody's going through a succession of choices that are leading them towards, you know, free content or other connections with you, whether it be calls, discovering calls, radio shows, you name it. And you're collecting data on this specific person going down a specific track. And you know you're starting to create behavioral patterns. And then you are able to carve out your marketing strategy, your context and your content, back to them that perfectly matches them without trying to guess or trying to have some sort of templated formula that, quote-unquote, you know, the masters say always work, because that's not always true. We have to find that customized piece there. And having the ability to gamify a process where people feel at ease, they are not having the walls of going, what is this person trying to sell me? It's always about service, and it's always about their choice and your participation in their choice. And so that when you create that gamified flow like that, people are removing the walls quicker to get to the point of making a buying decision with you. And that's a very powerful tool. So that's with business. With life, shoot, I mean, you can go a lot of different ways with this, but like for me, uh, for me and my dogs and my wife, and we're just like, uh, we create scenarios, not so much role play, but we create scenarios where we play the what if game. You know, what if, you know, we had a, you know, an extra million bucks, you know, what if. And then we start creating scenarios like this, and you'd be surprised how, you know, private conversations like this, they, they kind of make ripples. They, they do amplify that energy for sure. And other things start popping in. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't do a million, but we did like, like 700,000 extra dollars, you know, last year. That was like extra. Why? Is because I just started throwing out more of, or more of me, having more fun with it, and I got a whole lot more. You know, VIP days, and I, I do VIP days around the country, around the world, and people wanted to do more and more of these, one-to-one with, with Dan, and they just, it just ended up, I did a whole crap ton of them, and it was, it was great, but we started, we started playing with these scenarios, like, how would it feel, how would it feel to, to have this extra 
cash? Or how would it feel to go on this vacation? How would it feel to have, you know, get rid of our cars and buy, you know, two new Teslas? Or whatever that, the, the thing that you're wanting to play with in your life. Make it fun. Make it energetically um, connected to you. And when you do this, you're actually, you know, you're kind of reprogramming your ecosystem, your universe, if you will, around you, saying, oh, they're going a different route, so let's conspire to help them out along that process. People start popping up, resources start popping up, more time, time seems to slow down or warp a bit. You have more time to do the things you love. There's a lot of cool things. I, I, that's what we talk about at Imagination IQ, actually, is this whole gamified life process through what I call the six steps to manifest on demand in your business, in your relationships, and in your life. So I only have a few minutes here, so I can't go through all that stuff. But that's kind of the, the, the gist of it, the tip of the iceberg, to be able to understand that you know, life is a game and that, guess what, you make up the rules. So if you make up the rules, you are the one deciding whether you win or you lose. And that's a big, a big choice or a big aha for people that they can choose to win. How about that? <laughs> that is a good choice. And, you know, uh, I noticed on your logo you have uh, the six different colors, so those are the six different aspects of gamifying. You got And when you are asking this question, so when you're asking the question of how could it get better or uh, what would I do with it, you're actually giving a problem to your subconscious that's uh, going to continue to be worked on, so you're putting out in the universe and you're getting focused on it. That's really cool. I love it. Uh, is there an actual yeah. IQ? And, uh, and of course, you know, creating, creating you know, networks and relationships and and people that's, that uh, hold you accountable. I mean, all those things are important as well. It's not just hocus-pocus. It's actually science. You know, neuroscience mixed with physical and, you know, physics science, of course, too. And you understand that these components are working however you create the catalyst. You're the catalyst to whether things go wacko in your business or whether things go awesome in your business. And so it's not the, oh, what was me? It's how can I change the rules so I can win this game? Well, we're going to hear about maybe an example of how one can do that. I, I do want to ask you about the IQ quotient. Uh, it, does your book actually give some type of a discovery survey or uh, quiz that allows you to come up with yeah, a so score? Yeah, so my book coming out um, at the end of this, well, it's actually uh, late fall, uh, called The Imagination Code. It's actually, it, it kind of demystifies and deconstructs what imagination is, how it can be utilized, as a tool, it's not just um, you know airy, fairy, ethereal thing. It's actually something that you can tangibly use day in and day out that can process things much faster than your analytical brain can, and and be able to you know use the imagination to bring together all these you know, raw resources, even opportunities that are flying around you at any given time, and be able to turn them into money-making as well as life-changing experiences for yourself and your clients and your family as well. Well, I know that our segments go so quickly, and it's, it's a big decision on whether we have you know, one guest or two for a show, but we want Amplified to really uh, help both guests so we have your audience learning more about uh, the next guest and vice versa. Sure. So I know Gita has a couple more questions. Gita, would you like to ask another one of your questions? Absolutely, yeah. I'm looking forward to ask uh, Dan, who are your mentors? Any any particular uh, mentor who would want, you would want to share about him or her? 
mentors right now? Well, actually, I'm in a lull right now. So, I mean, I'm always being mentored, I guess, into, well, not really mentored. That's really not the word I use, but I'm, I'm being inspired by, indir- you know, indirectly by individuals through books and through, you know, other, other means. But, in the, mm-hmm. but right now, right at this very moment, I am not uh, under mentorship of anyone. So for me, mentorship is direct one-to-one connection, whether it's virtual or otherwise, and they are investing into me, meaning they're investing into my, my business, my, my psyche, my soul, my spirit. And at this very moment, I'm in a, I'm in a period where I am um, letting, I guess you'd call it solo, but in a good way, in a good way. I've, I've got the mentorship, and now I need to go and plant some seeds and blossom. There's some big things in, in my near future that are happening in 2017, so I'm excited about that. And it's because of the mentorship. So I believe there should be cycles like this. So right now I don't have any mentor, but um, in the past I have, I've worked with many different kinds of mentors, whether it comes from business and money mentors like David Nagel. Uh, I've also worked with shamans as well, you know, shamanistic healers, things like that, because I want to not just be, you know, singularly focused or singularly mentored, even if I don't understand or even don't agree with all the modalities that may float around out there. I actually want to be exposed to them and even be mentored by people that are revered in those areas, because I think that makes me a, a more rounded person as well. Well, I know Thank the next you. question you uh, shouldn't try this at home, but who are some of the some of the research you did on neuroscience that allowed you to actually become an expert in imagination? Mm, yeah, so I mean, gosh, um, well, I worked did a lot of stuff under you know Asheroff, you know, you know, all his work with the brain. I mean, I uh, I also involved with uh, the higher living, higher living. And the higher brain, the, the stuff they do around the, around the country, that's some, some pretty cool stuff there, too, about creating, understanding how the brain uh, responds to stimuli. And so when I create events or create marketing pieces, I'm not going after, like, what can this thing that I'm trying to sell do for you? Nobody cares, but I'm looking to have triggers in the brain that go, oh, this is something that is beneficial to, my, to me, to the core of me. And I don't, I don't even know what it is yet, so I better listen because I need to find out what this is because just by the, the, the art of pushing that button in my brain, I am wanting more. So, um, yeah, there's, I think and I've done lots of research too. I've actually worked with um, people at uh, UC Berkeley as well and their, their, um, excuse me, their science department and, you know, asking lots of questions. I'm a guy that likes to ask lots of questions about this, that, the next thing, especially about the brain and about our connection to our bodies as well as to the things that are maybe not part of our bodies, maybe that thing called the spirit or God or the universe or however you want to quantify it. And so lots of questions, lots of debate. I talked to a lot of philosophers as well. And uh, we, we just have great conversations about what ifs, you know, what, what if this, we know certain things to be true, but there's certain things we have no idea about. So let's play with that. And then they're talking about it from a scientific standpoint, and I try to process it through going, hmm, this can be used in relationships. This can be used in marketing apparatus. This can be used from selling from the stage. And it goes beyond, way beyond just NLP. So that's neuro-linguistic programming. It goes way beyond that. I mean, NLP is great. I love NLP if it's done correctly and, and ethically. But 
uh, gamifying and creating a, a, a hook with uh, the neuro-linguistic programming, but a hook that goes much deeper than just changing something in the subconscious. We're actually creating, a, we're planting something there for it to grow, evolve, and change into something as, as time goes on. That's extremely powerful. If you're able to have that kind of impact with your people and they're able to see the fruits of that labor, they're going to be able to recycle that into their clients and into their lives and into their relationships. And that's what I'm looking to do is create generational change, not just um, you know, systematic change within my present being. I want to create generational change. That's how we're going to really change our universe, our, our planet, and, of course, our communities as well. Well, what are some exercises one can do to increase their imagination IQ? Yeah, good. Well, the thing is, if you are a, a desk jockey, one of the things is to, you know, about affirmations and things like that, is to move, full body move, movement, uh, when you do any kind of affirmation. Now, if you're not an affirmation person, I would highly recommend that you do something like this. And I can give you an example. What I do every morning is I ask myself two questions, just two, in my quick meditations, and sometimes I have more time to do a longer extended meditation, but this is the two questions I ask. The first one is, why am I where I am? Why am I where I am? Now, this sounds like a crazy question, but it's really, it's kind of deep. So why am I where I am at this very moment? What, what has led me to this point when I'm looking in the mirror in the morning? Why am I where I am? And then I, you know, I can answer that internally or I can answer that vocally out, outwardly. And I make sure that I'm moving in this process. I make sure that I'm not just standing still or I'm hunched over. I am moving. I have my body energy moving. So that's question number one. And then question number two is, how can I receive more? Why am I where I am and how can I receive more? Those are the two questions I ask myself every single day. It sets the groundwork. If I can answer both of those questions, it's, it opens up the floodgates for very focused intention for the rest of the day. Of like, this is why I'm where I'm at today, and this is how I can receive more today. And now some people say, well, that sounds very selfish, asking to receive more. And I go, no, it's actually it's a societal thing that's programmed us to not receive. A lot of us have a problem receiving, and we need to ask ourselves that, how can I receive more? Because when we can't receive, we can't give, and we can't create a cycle of that. And if we're constantly looking for someone else to give to us, but we can't receive it, then there's a problem. There's a disconnect. There's a block. There's being stuck. So I always ask that question, because if I can't receive, I can't grow. If I can't receive, I'm not going to be able to, to share, shed my light on other people and help other people to make an impact in, in my world. Yeah, that's very powerful. So that's a rudimentary beginning starting point, but that's where you can start. Ask yourself why you're where you're at. And how can you receive more? Well, this is, I would almost say, light years ahead of the two questions I ask. I ask two questions every morning, too, and I'm probably going to flush them down the toilet after hearing the two you ask because <laughs> my two questions are, how will I remember my second question? And then my second question is, what was my first question? So I, that has not served me very well. And so I'm kind of, kind of upset because I've been doing it for about 10 years, and it's been very circular. Awesome. Awesome. So, <laughs> how would you re- how will you remember your second question? Is that what it is? 
Yeah, how do I remember how to remember my second question, and then what was my first question? Those are my questions I ask every day. So they're okay. They're kind of circular. That's actually, yeah, actually, it's like that, that keeps you. Well, it does keep you grounded. That's for sure. That is. Yeah. <laughs> However, the thing is, if grounded and, and stable, for me, I'm one of those guys, and there's some people uh, I can rub the wrong way because I always want to push the envelope. Me, me personally, and so that scares some people. And so those people that want to find a plateau and be even keeled, they're, they're not in my scope. They're not in my field because uh, they're too, they, they live in too much fear. They live in too much fear of rattling, you know, shaking the, the can or rattling the, you know, shaking the boat or tipping the boat or whatever they want to call it. And I was, hey, you know, if we're not pushing the envelope or we're not pushing the, the outer reaches of our comfort zone, then... We, we probably are we're missing out on some big opportunities that are probably just right in the face and we've got the blinders on. And so well, if you want more out of life, again. you know, you've got to push a little bit. Create your, make your container have more capacity. I believe in a comfort zone. I don't believe you should get out of your comfort zone all the time. I think your comfort zone is there to help and keep you safe, for sure. But I believe in creating that container that you're in, expanding the outer walls of that container. So your comfort zone is actually more, gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Your capacity to receive gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So when you can receive more, you can definitely give more. Well, we are coming to break in about 30 seconds, so I just want to say uh, I wanted to be at your last event, and there was a, a conflict in your next event next year, and we went into deep depression because we couldn't work together at your event, but when is your next event? We'll follow you. Yes, I was crying all the way home. <laughs> well, the, the next event, my next Imagination IQ event is going to be at the end of April 2018, and it's going to be in Denver. I actually, though, I'm going to be in Denver this coming weekend for another event. So if you're in the Denver area, you might want to come by because it's going to be all about how to do relational marketing in a gamified style. It's um, through online marketing. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be one of the keynote speakers at a, an event in Denver called Stern Storming Live, and I'm going to be there this weekend, 29th and 30th in Denver. So if you are in the area, you know, reach out to the, the show, and you know, Ken will probably pass your information along. You can always go to the website, too, at sternstorminglive.com or just sternstorming.com. Check it out. Check out the information. Or follow me on Facebook or Twitter. I'll be glad to connect with you there, too. Okay, well, at the end of the, sh- uh, the second segment, we might be able answer in a couple more questions like what your favorite books are or what, what quotes you live by but we're going to head to break right now and we'll be back in a couple minutes become our friend on Facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Do you realize that the root of your challenges lie within you? It's time to find out more about coaching and how it can help both you and your business. 
Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves will help you gain a deeper level of self-awareness to find the answers inside yourself. Our guests are business professionals just like you who agree to a coaching session on our radio program. Tune into Coaching for Real live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Welcome back for the second segment. That first segment went by in a flash like it always does. And with that imagination IQ pulse, it actually generated even faster speed. So thank you very much, Dan, for a wonderful first segment. And we are now on the air with Debbie Butts Montgomery. How are you doing, Debbie? I'm doing just great. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I am excited to hear your story and talk with you. But we want to start off by having Gita give a wonderful bio introduction. Go ahead, Gita. Absolutely. Can't wait. I love Debbie. I've spoken with her, and she's such an amazing person. Debbie Montgomery Johnson is a woman on a mission. In her book, The Woman Behind the Smile, she shares her personal experience with a love that turned into betrayal and financial disaster, and she removes the mask of shame and shows others how to do just the same. Many of us have something, something we are hiding, something we are ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, something that we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. But Debbie has uh, just come out of that in such a beautiful way and shares it with every person she meets. She's just the woman, a mission with her life as authentic as herself, joyful life as a woman with the smile rather than behind it. She has an extensive, diverse background working as a paralegal and a bank branch manager to being a U.S. Air Force officer, serving as an intelligence officer at the Pentagon, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and in Weisbaden, Germany. Debbie, we want to hear more from you, just, just straight from your heart. Can't wait to hear you speak. Thank you so much for being here. Truly grateful. Big warm welcome to you, Debbie. Well, thank you so much. I, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here. And actually, I'm looking at, at uh, Ken's Facebook where he has the big keep smiling 
uh, shift happens. And, of course, my story is called The Woman Behind the Smile. <laughs> and yes, I guarantee you that Dan's imagination would never think of my story. Think of my story. So this is going to be really exciting. Well, you know, I think uh, without asking any questions first, let's start off with having the audience actually hear your story because it is not only quite unbelievable, but it might spark some extra questions we hadn't thought of. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to ask the questions, but I, I can't wait for my audience to hear what you have to say and, and how all this transpired. So go for it. Okay, well, my story, uh, I'm just going to dive right in because it, it, we can talk for hours about it. And you ask about the woman behind the smile and how it started. Well, it was actually an online dating story, but it started seven years ago when I was at a meeting and I got the call. And the call was actually 12 calls, 12 messages on my phone. But the first one, which was a defining moment in my life, was a call from my oldest son, who at the time was 23. And I picked up my phone and he said, Mom, Dad died. I'm coming home to take care of everything. And my husband, uh, we'd been married almost 26 years. He was not sick. I mean, he had diabetes and he had some issues with that, but he was under control. And he had gone away for the day. He was overnight and had gone to the west coast of Florida. And uh, no indication that that anything was wrong with him. And when I got that phone call, the next phone call was from my parents, who actually lived on the West Coast. They were about a half an hour from where he had passed away. And they're like, we're going to take care of everything over here, and you don't need to come over. Don't, don't worry about it. Well, because Lou had left the day before, and he was healthy, um, we'd said our goodbyes and everything, but I figured I would see him the next day. And when I got those phone calls, I realized, I, I probably not at that time, but later on I realized that, I never saw him after he left home. And that was a big defining moment to me that when you leave the house in the morning, you better tell the ones that you love that you love them because you never know when it's the last time that you're going to be able to do so. And so when, when that happened, Lou had a company. It's called Benfotiamine.net. We manufacture vitamin supplement for diabetics that have neuropathy. It was his company. It was his baby. And he was basically paying the bills. At that time, I was working as a school treasurer. Uh, in Palm Beach County, and I was really just working for benefits because his company was private and we didn't have benefits. At, but at that moment, when I heard that he had died, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to run the company? Because I was not really a part of it. I'd watched him and uh, had seen what he did. And one day, one of our largest customers called and said, Lou, if something happens to you, who's going to run your business? And he looks at me and he smiles. He goes, well, double do it. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you better write something down, uh, put something in writing, or I'm not going to know how to run your company. Well, he was a former Air Force officer, intelligence operator, officer also, and he was really good at operations manuals, but he never wrote it down. He wrote down five pages of a sort of business continuity, who the big players were and how to keep it running. And thank goodness he had kept in such good contact with his vendors and his suppliers, his customers, that when I called to let them know what happened, they offered assistance. They helped me run the company, helped me learn how to run the company. And that's all I did for the next six, eight months. I, I went to work in the morning at six o'clock and until one, I would go home and go swim. I mean, I would go off and go swimming. I'd come home at two o'clock. And from two o'clock in the afternoon until about two o'clock in the morning, I would work the company um, because I needed to keep it going. And it was also such a diversion for me because I was home alone now. I mean, well, not really. I have four children. Three of them were off in school and in the military, and my youngest was 15, and he was home. But I was alone in the house most of the time because my youngest was off at school and in football. 
And so I had to keep busy, and I kept busy by learning as much as I could about the company. And as you can imagine, I didn't have much of a life because it was an internet business and I was home alone. So my girlfriends were like, Deb, you need a life. You need a life. You've got to find something other than work. And I'm like, I really don't want to. They said, you need to start dating. And of course, I looked at them and I'm like, you're crazy. I said, I hated dating when I was 16. Why in the world would I want to do it when I'm 52? And how in the world would I do that? I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't go to bars. And they're like, have you ever heard of online dating? And I was very naive as far as that goes. I, I didn't know anything about it. And they said, try it. So I figured, well, it's safe. I'm doing it from my home. I'm doing it from my own computer. I can look at who I want. I can kind of stalk if I need to uh, from a safe point. So I dipped my toe in, and I started. And I got on a site, and I was really, frankly, upset or mortified by the 55 to 60-year-olds that were out there um, They either had these ridiculous pictures or they couldn't spell, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I getting into? Uh, And then I lit upon this gentleman who actually found me, I think, and he was 55 and very good-looking, and he was a a widower from London, international businessman, and he dropped me a little note. Well, one thing led to another, and he, he became my life. His name was Eric. And for two years, Eric and I corresponded. We talked a little bit. We... um, We basically wrote, I love writing, I love journaling, and he moved me on from the website onto Yahoo Chat, and whenever he connected, we talked for hours and hours and hours. It was amazing. And what was truly amazing to me is I had an online journal, and I copied and pasted everything that we talked about into my journal, thinking I was going to have a family history for my kids to see, this is how Eric and I met, and when we got married, yada, yada, yada. So in my mind, I had this great story. Well, I never met Eric in person because he was overseas. He was a hardwood, he brokered hardwood trees. And I understood that business because I owned trees in Costa Rica, which he didn't know about until I told him. Um, so I kind of understood what he was doing. And he was doing a big job in Malaysia moving that 100,000 trees or whatever from Malaysia into India. And over that two-year span... Um, I got to know his son and his sister and his attorney and had multiple chats going on at a time. And it was just extraordinary that he became my life, I became his, and I just data dumped every part of me into our writing. It was very therapeutic, actually, because I could tell him about Lou, and he would listen. I would tell him about the kids, and he would listen. I would tell him about all the hurts in my life, and he would listen. It was totally amazing. And fast forward two years... One morning on September 10th, 2012, he came online, and he said, Deb, how do you feel about forgiveness? Well, I'm a very spiritual person. I am very involved in church, and I've put on my spiritual hat, and I started telling him everything I thought about forgiveness and how I felt about forgiveness, because I've had to do that in my lifetime. And we went on for hours, and then we get disconnected somehow. And he came back a little bit later and he goes, do you remember what you were saying, what we were talking about? And I said, yeah, is there something that I did? What's wrong? And he goes, I have to tell you something, but I need to know that you forgive me first. And I thought about that for a minute and I said, okay. He said, this has all been a scam. I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you sick? What is wrong? And then, then I got a little angry and I'm like, well, prove it. And he, he said, okay, on Yahoo Chat, there's a little camera in the corner, and I'm going to come on live. Well, I didn't know that was a possibility. I'm thinking, what's this all about? And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this picture on my screen of this handsome 
good-looking young Brit man, British man, and on my computer pops up live a dark-haired, dark-skinned, dark-everything young man from Nigeria. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what has happened? And in an instant, the two years of my life just became a story. But I'm looking at him and saying, what what did, what did you do? What, what has happened here? Where's my Eric and what is going on here? And, and he, he just, the most amazing thing about this whole story is I'm looking at him and he's like, can we keep this going? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Why in the world would I keep this going? And he says, is it because I'm black? And I'm thinking, no, not really. It's because you took, and here's the breath, hold your breath. You took a million dollars from me over the last two years. You took that money from me. I, I, I gave it to him, but thinking that he was family, that we were going to be together, I was helping him with his business. I did it on trust. I loved this man um, because of everything he'd done for me for two years. And when he told me that it was a scam, my life just I fell apart. Not in front of him, but later on, I called up my parents because I had asked them to get involved with me. And they're like, we're coming over. They came right over from the West Coast. And that next day, um, I took my story to the FBI. And I had 4,000 pages of journal. I had a three-ring binder full of wire transfers and banking information, everything possible about this man. And they looked at me, and they'd never seen anything like that before. And they're like, we're really sorry, but there's nothing we can do for you. And I shut down. I did not tell that story again for years because here I was well-educated, well-trained, well-everything to identify scammers and all that kind of stuff. And my heart ruled my head, and I was completely taken. And I was so mortified, even though they said, you were a victim, it wasn't your fault, they're manipulative, they're smart. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did you do? And I didn't tell my children, I didn't tell anybody until a couple years ago when a friend of mine, we were talking about something and she said something about online dating and I rolled my eyes and she said, what is that story? And I told her and she said, you've got to come out because too many people are being taken and no one's telling the story because they're afraid of what others will say about them. They will feel like they're stupid, and, which I did. And they said, you've got to tell your story. You have to come out and, and let people know that they can move forward from this because, and try to stop it. Um, unfortunately, it's a worldwide insidious thing. I don't know that we can stop it because they've, they're, the scammers are everywhere. But I want people to understand that it can happen to anybody and especially if you've had a sudden you know, tragedy or change in your life, such as being a widow or being divorced or something, they're preying on, on us because they know they can get our hearts. So, wow. Ah, yeah, the silence that, on the other end. I was kind of wondering if anybody was still there. But. Oh, yes. We, we were actually all giving frown signs to each other on, uh, on the chat, just saying how sad this is. And I, I, I guess the first question I ask is, no matter how naive someone is, because I mean, I've I've been the victim of an embezzlement and several other kind of scams myself. And but when I look back, I actually I saw and felt and know there were signs that were given to me, and I chose to ignore them. In reflection or uh, looking back, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. 
Um, I, I don't call them red flags. In my mind, they were pink flags. And there were times when I would put on my intelligence hat and, and you know, he would give me an address of where his sister lived or where he was over in Hong Kong. And I would go to Google Earth and I was an Im- uh, imagery analyst for the Air Force. So I would look at the properties and I would try to figure out, you know, could, could the pictures that he sent me of the rooms really fit into that kind of a house or was he really at that, at that, that hotel? And, uh, I mean, I, I got to the point where I wrote to the, the um, legal bureau in, in London and said, do you have an attorney by this name working for you, thinking I could maybe check up on his attorney? And when I got a really nice letter back saying, no, we're sorry, Mrs. Montgomery, but, you know, we don't have an attorney by that name, I took it to Eric and I said, hey, can you kind of explain why I'm not getting the answers? And he always had a plausible excuse, always. And, my, again, that's when my heart was, was leading my head. And a friend identified to me a couple of months ago. She said, you know, all those years you were married, and Lou didn't listen to you. And I think anybody that's been married over a couple of days knows that sometimes you don't listen to your spouse. That created a, a void in me. And when he died, I, I was susceptible to someone like Eric who listened who listened to everything I said, and that filled up that hole. And then because of that, I was able to overlook some of the things that would have been glaring to someone else from the outside. Um, But I trusted him. Why in the world would I not believe what he was telling me? It was two years that this went on. Uh, It was amazing. My father even said that after this happened. He said, you know, all along I kind of felt there was something strange, but when we got into year one, year two, Dad goes, there's no way that someone would lead you on for that long. (laughs) Boy, were we silly. Um, But here's the amazing thing to me, and I thank Eric for telling me, because most scammers will not tell you that they scammed you. But I asked him why he did, and he said that he had fallen in love with me, with the person that I was, and he couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't do, do it to me anymore. And I asked him not to do it to anybody else anymore. But he said that in his country and his, where he lived, it was very difficult for young men to get good employment to take care of families. And I guess I understood that. But I just said, Eric, or jo- his name was Joseph. I said, you need to find something better than this because you're hurting people. And he knows how much he hurt me. Um, but out of this, and this is the great thing, is that you, if you choose to change and choose to accept what happened, seek the authorities. I have the seven steps to standing up in your power. And, and part of it is acknowledging that you did it and not beating yourself up. And that was the hardest thing for me because I still do to a certain point at, at some times is I beat myself for, up for what I did. But I've become fundamentally a better person because I've gotten stronger through this, and it has allowed me to find out who I was. After 26 years, I became a mom, a wife, a daughter, all these, you know, Air Force officer, all these things. But I lost me in a, in a lot of ways, and I've found me again, and I've found my power to stand up and talk uh, and to get people. I love to get people to tell their stories. I find out so much about people, and I have, am working with a group of authors now who are actually getting out and telling their story. And it's an amazing thing. Um, I mean, some people have million-dollar divorces. I had a million-dollar therapist. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, I hate to make light of it because it, it just devastated me. And I have talked to women since that are in the same position who will not talk to their children about it. And I'm like, you've got to unload. You have to find someone that you trust to tell this to, and you have to stop what you're doing. 
And honestly, a friend asked if, if I would have listened to her years ago uh, if she had said that to me. And I said, no, probably not, because I feel that this had to happen to me because God knew that I was going to tell it and I would be strong enough to tell the story to at least keep one more person, men and women, from doing what I did. So we'll, well see. You know, um, your story is very important to people here, and I, am, I applaud you on choosing to create a purpose out of it and a strength to make make your life better and other people's lives better because you're informing them of possibilities of danger and scamming and fraud. Now, fraud happens on all levels. I mean, it, you could have someone who just says, I'm a great marketer or I'm a great publisher or uh, I'm a great anything. And, and if you don't do the social proof, you don't do the, the background that actually shows that their social media uh, is giving five-star reviews and that their customers are raving about their ability, you're actually setting yourself up for just being another person that's being disappointed. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I guess the question I have for you is, what would you suggest people do to make sure they are meeting someone that they're supposed to be either one working with or getting involved with? Well, first, I would say, you know, don't do anything with them until you see the whites of their eyes. I'm very skeptical. I mean, even today, I, I, this past week, I got a, a letter from or an email from a, a potential client in Japan, and I just, I'm so skeptical of what people tell me now, and, and that's hard for me as a very trusting person. Um, but just really do your homework and try to find out, some, try to find someone else that they maybe know or have worked with. Um, in a social situation, you know, don't let it go on forever. You get, you got to be able to see them in person. Um, for me, after Lou dying, I think it was just safe that he wasn't here because I had the relationship going with him, but he wasn't physically here, and, and I, I, I guess I needed that safety for a, for a little bit longer. Um, take one well, step at a time and really vet them as best you can. Uh, I've got friends who say do background checks. Yeah, I was very trusting, so at that point, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. But my brothers would have, they oh, from the very beginning, they're like, you've got to find out who this guy is. And I didn't tell anybody I was sending him money. So, you know, once my boys thought I was, they were all over me. And I said, you guys, I'm the adult. Leave me alone. And silly me, I ate huge humble pie when I had to explain to my boys what had happened. And uh, I, I disappointed them, and I disappointed myself. But, again, your heart is so strong, it outlives your head. <laughs> so... Well, our show is unfortunately coming to a close. That segment uh, obviously needed to be longer, and we got some great information. I will say between the two segments, uh, my question I was going to ask tomorrow is, uh, you know, Dan said to ask a better question. So I was going to say, what would I do with a million dollars that Debbie had given me? So um, I was going to do a, a little planning with Gita to see if we could get you to give us a million dollars and now, second <laughs> well, don't, well, don't I, I always cut, say, too, the last that, piece doesn't have a pocket. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to it with you. <laughs> so, so, Dan, I, I wanted to ask you, what are, what are a couple books that you uh, would recommend to our audience that change your life? Yeah, yeah, good one. <clears throat> wow. There's so many. Shoot. Um, well, there's one right now that I'm, I'm reading called The One Philosophy. That's wow, perfect. Nancy yeah. Matthews. It's, like a, it's, a little, it's a little book. Uh, Nancy yeah. Matthews spoke at my at Imagination IQ at last February yeah, um, in Las Vegas. Yeah. There, so yeah, I've been blowing through this the last couple couple days. It's actually really really good. It's the whole concept that we're that we're all the one. There is no you know the one and only the one. It's the that everyone's the one philosophy. 
love love her her concept. I, I love her signature song that she got produced with um, Fizz and that they you know played at Imagination IQ. But that's one right now. Go check that out. It's a super easy read. And, and we got to ask one question. Debbie, we got to ask one question to Debbie. Debbie, what is a quote you live by, and can you give your contact information so people can follow you? Sure. The quote I live by is "Stand up, speak up, and be true to you." And I, my contact information, my website is The Woman Behind the Smile. And you can reach me at Debbie, D-E-B-B-Y, at The Woman Behind the Smile. And I, I would love to get this message out to as many people as possible. And we're actually taking it to, to, to the kids and, and parents. Be careful that you, don't, that you uh, make sure that your kids are safe using their phones. Uh, the whole security, online security with children, I, I've come up with a stand-up series for children. And uh, it's an important thing. We've got to be parents and really take care of our kids and ourselves. So, Well, I am committed you. to both your messages. And Dan and Debbie, you, you've been amplified. Thank you so much for being on our program. And this is uh, just a, the beginning of us cutting you back. And also, all the information we couldn't ask you questions, we'll put them on in the comments section so you can answer them and we can flush this out even a little more. So have a great week, and thank you very much for being on the program. Thanks a bunch. I'm honored to Thanks be here. Thanks so much, Ken. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Keep, all right. Keep talk to you later. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashawn again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard. 